0: Welcome to the Born to Be a Badass Podcast, the show about the intersection of women's empowerment, embodiment, and self-defense, and what women need to know and do to enhance their physical, mental, and emotional safety. Here's your host, fourth degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Jalakor Rude.
1: Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Joliker-Rude. And today I am so thrilled to bring on this guest. She is unlike anybody we've had on before. And when you start to listen to the conversation, you are going to understand why I was so eager to bring her on. Pamela Armitage is the chief impact officer and co-founder of studyofviolence.com an online resource with free online courses on violence prevention and defense. She is a violence prevention and defense teacher, certified trauma sensitive yoga teacher and a trauma sensitive educator. She has created a train the trainer program, which educates self-defense and martial arts teachers how to conduct their classes in a trauma informed and sensitive way to better reach and empower their students. She has been working with survivors of abuse, sexual assault, domestic violence, and substance abuse disorder since 2016. Welcome to the show, Pamela.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here and I really appreciate you having me on. Well, I couldn't not. Once I discovered you and learned what you were up to
1: and then got to participate in one of your seminars, I was just chomping at the bit to get you on here. So the way I like to start the show is with a couple sort of easy warm up questions and then we'll dive into the nitty gritty. Sounds great. Okay,
2: if you were a musical instrument, what would you be? Oh, that's a good one. I'm a a huge music fan. I I come from a very musical family. So that's um, a a hard question. You know, my, my first instinct is to say piano. And why? I guess my grandfather, my my dad's dad was a very a classically trained pianist. He actually attended McGill University music program and back in the 40s. Him and Burt Bacharach actually played piano together in blues bars around Montreal. So I've always been a big fan of the piano, the instrument. I love all instruments. I'm a big fan of the guitar and drums as well. But I think I'd say piano because of the, the beautiful sound. It, it just has this peaceful, uh, invokes a feeling of peace and beauty. Very melodic of it. Yes.
1: Yeah, it is. I actually, I grew up uh, playing the piano when I was a little kid. And uh, my mom thought I was brilliant, a brilliant pianist. But what she didn't realize was I wasn't actually reading the music. I was playing it all by ear. Oh, that's very impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is a separate talent. My sister is actually a really good pianist. And she plays at her church. But, uh, and I've actually, I've had a guest on. I think she's actually going to be. The second or third episode of this new season and she uses the piano as a healing mode as a healing instrument.
2: Beautiful. Well, music therapy is an amazing program. A lot more recovery houses of both, you know, domestic violence and substance abuse and are starting to incorporate into their programs, um, music and art therapy. So music definitely has a a way of healing and it just speaks to us. You know, we all have those songs that take us back to certain times or very nostalgic and, you know, certain musicians and artists that just speak to our, our spirit and our soul. So it's music is definitely a healing instrument for sure
1: yeah that's right and piano's fun even if all yeah. you can do is chopsticks it's still fun
2: <laughs> it's fun that's true <laughs> i briefly took piano lessons but uh, i had a, a horrible teacher and she kind of uh, soured me on it after that and i stuck to singing vocal lessons so i i've been singing for most of my most of my life but i never really dove into the instrument side That was my sister she could play my sister was able to play the bass the trombone drums guitar um, she ate that stuff up. So
1: wow, that's mm-hmm. cool. That's that's neat. That's a wide ri- uh, wide variety of instruments too. It is. Yeah, it's very unique. The trombone thrown in there
2: for a little flavor.
1: <laughs> yeah, my uncle used to play the trombone in a band. Very cool. Yeah, it's not not your average instrument. That's for no, sure. it's,
2: it's, it's not. <laughs> there's not a lot of people that play the trombone. So. <laughs> So what book or author has had a big impact on your life? Oh, wow, another great question. You're you're golden with these questions. <laughs> I'm I'm going to have to say it is a tie between Gabor Maté and Bessel van der Kolk. Their books on on trauma, they've changed my life both personally and professionally. They were, you know, instrumental in what I'm doing now. They're, they're very important authors. There's others I could throw in there as well. You know, Daniel Siegel and, you know, even the author of The Four Agreements, which I read decades ago. I mean, I've read multiple times Don uh, Miguel Ruiz, I believe is, is his name. I hope I didn't just screw that mm-hmm. up, but, but he's great as well. So but my first instinct, I'd have to say Gabor and, and Bessel. Yeah, cool. I'm going to add those to the show notes
1: because I like to keep track of what my guests are reading or recommend and i put them on my website too because no point in finding out about really cool resources if you don't Give people a way to access absolutely. them so
2: absolutely and the great thing about a lot of these authors too vessel van der Kolk and and gabor and and daniel siegel is is that they have a lot of online resources too you know and vessel van der Kolk has the trauma research center gabor Mate has you know his new movie that's out the wisdom of trauma they all do a lot of online talks i love listening to daniel siegel i could listen to him talk for forever he has such a, a way with words and visualizations and symbolism. And he's, he's just, he's a great, great talker loves, love, love listening to him talk. Oh, wow. I just, all
1: of a sudden got this sense that I'm going to be going on quite a journey in the next
2: month. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> you're going to <laughs> fall down a, a rabbit hole. <laughs> <of sorts. But laughs> it's uh it's wonderful. It's the kind of information I would definitely recommend that you kind of take in bits and digest. Because uh, mm-hmm. there's there's so much information that, you know, it can be very easy to kind of spend hours and hours and hours and that you end up not forgetting, but forget some stuff and then you have to go back. So it's a, it's a good idea to, to kind of digest some stuff at uh, yes. a piece of time, but it's very enlightening. It's really the missing link in so many things in our society is, is well, the topic of trauma.
1: Ooh. Yeah, we're going to dive into that in just a minute. But before we do, I have a couple more questions. Of (laughs) course. What is your
2: favorite self-care practice? My favorite self-care practice? Meditation. And with that meditation, you know, positive affirmations and gratitude. That is definitely... The number one that also goes into yoga, of course, as well. And as far as us, you know, an, an extra some people might not, not consider it a self care practice, but the practice of self observation and self awareness, it, it really is critical as far as the healing road goes. So, and with that meditation, you're you're able to become more self-aware you know carving out that time and I think there's a misconception too that meditation has to go on for you know 30 minutes to an hour we have to meditate for hours a day and that's Mm -hmm. that's time for that (laughs) you know unless you're you know you're you're maybe in the last you know year and a half with the pandemic we have more time for that but you know 10 minutes is better than nothing Mm -hmm. carve out a little bit of time. And it's for me, I do it as soon as I wake up before I even get out of bed, I wake up and I I sit there and I I meditate and I do my affirmations before I get out of bed.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I I like doing things first thing in the morning, because I find if I if the really important things I don't do right away, I tend to get sidetracked or ambushed by, you know, weird occurrences cropping up that derail the plan.
2: Yeah, and it's a good way to set the tone for the day. Mm -hmm. I certainly notice the difference on on if there are days that you know, are hectic right off the, off the start. You know, I make the mistake of looking at my phone before I do anything right. else. And then it's just, you know, you're checking emails and messages and then you're just, you know, you pull at that thread and it just is never ending. So it's a good habit. Self-discipline is important. And it comes in, you know, even in small ways and stay off your phone first thing in the morning. Do do these things first thing. Your, your phone can wait. We tend to live in this, you know, society of urgency. And I think we have the power to kind of, dictate and decide when that urgency is you know a priority if you will and we need to make self care a little bit more of a priority so even just carving out a little bit of time first thing in the morning before we log into that electronic world and and tune in with ourselves it definitely sets the tone for the day
1: Mm, it does oh and i love that languaging of you know a society of urgency that is Mm -hmm. that really captures it that's great yeah,
2: it's, it's true. I mean, even I think we're all, you know, for lack of better words, guilty of it. You know, we kind of are in that age of instant gratification and, in you know, instant messaging. Someone doesn't reply to our message right away where we get impatient and we wouldn't want someone to take that perspective towards us. And we really need to reflect if we're taking that perspective or that attitude towards other people, too. So that the urgency is has a time and place, but You know, we need to slow down a little bit, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, what advice would you give young women today
2: that you wish that you'd had when you were in your 20s? Oh, my God, there's so many. (laughs) Which one? Be very careful of the company that you keep, not just friends, but intimate partners, huge friends as well. And, you know, educate yourself on on human behavior and psychology uh, get to know you know the red flags as well as green flags. A lot of people talk about red flags and they're important, but very few are talking about green flags. What are the green flags we should look for in relationships? Right, and mm-hmm. and that that's important because who you spend your time with is going to have a huge impact on your mental wellness and your mental health. So, and and that's I mean, if you don't have that mental wealth you're not going to have a whole lot else, right? When it comes down to happiness and, and physical health, they're, they're linked. So I think that that's a big one is be, be very cautious of the company that you keep and, you know, always put yourself first. And I don't mean that in a narcissistic way or selfish way, you know, it's good. To help others that's very important but you can't serve with from an empty vessel right so we need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves as well and especially for young women you know men aren't everything that's a that's a big thing it's 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 you know this the boy craziness that begins in you know junior high and all that and don't give up all your girlfriends for some guy you know oh you're my gosh gonna, yes you're, you're always going to need your girlfriends i have the best friends in my life I've had since high school and guys have come and gone relationships have come and gone for all of us. And they are the constant and all that. I was very lucky to find very true, good, genuine, wonderful friends at a young age. And I know that's not true of anyone. I've also found ones later in life and they're the constant. It's not the the men and the, you know, that come in and out of our life. It's the, the our friends, our girl, our girlfriends, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I really do like that. And it's true, like not everybody keeps their high school friends, but it doesn't really matter what time you meet somebody, if if you have that connection, and they travel along with you through all kinds of events that you know that that can be a really important asset when you do hit
2: difficult times. Absolutely. It's very, very true. And in those difficult times, you really find out who your, your true friends are. Um, you know, when my sister passed away about almost six years ago now, my best friends who, you know, I don't speak to them every day. Sometimes we'll go weeks without speaking. But when times are very hard, they are there more than the ones that I spoke to on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and true colors really come out. When you are at your low points and things are hard, you really see the true colors of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's wise advice and some great
1: insight too. not just for when you're in your 20s, but as you Uh, you go through. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. definitely. Definitely.
2: Well, where did you grow up? What was that like? Uh, I grew up actually in Alberta, a small city right in between Calgary and Edmonton in Alberta, Canada, called Red Deer, Red Deer, Alberta. When I grew up, I was born in 79. So I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. (laughs) Great generation, great Mm -hmm. eras. Love the 90s, especially. And it was a smaller city. It wasn't a small town. It was a small city. Uh, it's grown quite a bit since then. I think the population now with all the surrounding little towns is, you know, close to 200,000. When I grew up, it was around red deer alone, 80,000. So it was close-knit community real sense of community and I had a you know I had a great childhood I really did I my parents are still together wonderful parents who were always you know affectionate and encouraging and loving and we always had fun a lot of laughter in the house they you know anything my sister and I wanted to to explore and do as far as hobbies and all that they were supportive of and they they allowed us to do it we wanted to dance you know explore music and different sports which didn't last long we're definitely more on the creative artsy side and we danced our entire lives my sister was my best friend and now that being said I you know we had a wonderful childhood but my sister also went through A lot of difficulties that we didn't know about until much later in in life. She, you know, I don't know if we want to get into that right now, but she had been sexually abused by a best friend's brother uh, at a young age and didn't tell anyone, even though, you know, my parents were always very open about about the world and the realities of the world they never kept us in a bubble you know you know if anyone ever is inappropriate with you this is appropriate behavior and touching and this isn't and no matter who it is it was never a stranger they you know it was always about someone we knew but they were very aware even back then in the 80s you know that it's more likely to be someone that they that we know and mm-hmm. they always educated us on that but even with that and even though it was talked about a lot not just one time but often she still climbed up and didn't say anything because it was her best friend's brother right she didn't want to get him to, into trouble he was you know only 14 at the time and, and a kid himself so but that certainly was you know a catalyst for future trauma that happens so even though you know In reflection on my personal experience, my childhood was wonderful and I didn't go through any of that. I'm very fortunate that I never experienced the things that she experienced. We had different experiences in childhood. Our family life was great, but experiences outside our family life were not the same. And I think that that is I've come to find anyway in meeting so many different people throughout my life, both personally and professionally, that that's a common theme I hear amongst people is that you can grow up in the same household and have you know similar experiences within the household but also have different experiences within that household you know that's not uncommon to hear children that are, are abused, you know one child is is singled out in the family and abused and the rest aren't you know but and but the experiences outside the, the childhood home can be vastly different among siblings right um, and you know that that was kind of a a little bubble burst i guess for me because i i guess i always thought that we had this wonderful beautiful amazing childhood and and i certainly did through and through and my sister did to a point but there was also a lot of, of dark so i kind of made that wrong assumption that we both had the the same parallel experiences through all our experiences, which is simply not true. And that just comes from learning about you know, life experience and perspective. You don't, kids don't think that way, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, even into teen and adulthood, we, we kind of have that ego, right? That child ego where everything revolves around us. And everything that happens in the world is what's happening to everyone else. And is because of us, that's just the child, the ego developing, that's just child, how the child brain works. And it certainly is not the case in reality. A a great childhood, but definitely a lot of learning, a lot of lessons and a lot of things to kind of grapple with and come to terms with as far in in adulthood regarding that childhood. Yeah. How old were you and your sister when the truth came out? She was three years younger than me. So it was she was in her mid 20s. I can't give you an exact age, how old she was. I can't quite remember, but I want to say she was around 25, 24, 25 when she shared what had what had actually happened and what became quite open about it. She became quite, she wasn't hiding it at all anymore. She was very open and communicative about what happened. Wow. That's a long time to carry that kind of secret. Yeah, it was, you know, a good a while it was a while a good 15 15 years or so that she that she carried that so yeah wow well yeah i'm, I'm really sorry to hear that that happened with her
1: and i'm i'm sure for you when you learned about it you know, that was kind of its own traumatic event for you you know an emotional an emotional it, impact
2: for you yeah it is that. and it, you know and then to hear and come to realize i think for herself too that i think she you know she came to realize that the fact that she hadn't told anyone was the reason why she experienced other, you know, sexual uh, violence after the fact into adulthood and bullying and the like. And I think that that kind of that light and why she, you know, was had struggles with with mental health and struggles with substance abuse. And I, she mm-hmm. she knew that 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 was a big part of it. The bullying for sure was it was a big part of it as well. But I think she, you know, while she didn't say the words, I became a target because you know, I never, never dealt with this and bottled it up. She never, you know, came to realize that predators can sniff out. They have a, sec- a sixth sense almost mm-hmm. about who they can target and who, do, who not to and the, and the like. And, but I think she intuitively herself, she was very wise and very intuitive. I think she came to realize that her not talking about it wasn't working it would actually it had actually caused her more pain and suffering. And, you know, and she even used the words unknowingly put a target on my back because I didn't tell anyone about it. Right, And, and of course, it makes sense
1: because she was very young,
2: very not have
1: any insider wisdom to guide her on that. And I think that that decision to stay quiet was a protective one, you know, protecting yes. herself and
2: also protecting her family from yeah. knowing what had happened. And yeah, she was know. very much avoiding the conflict, the the drama, and, and, you know, it was her best friend's brother. She didn't, she yeah. loved her best friend and she didn't want to cause problems in the family. And, and she was, a, you know, she was 11 years old at the time mm-hmm. when it, when it had occurred and 11 year old child doesn't understand predators really right you know if, if they unless they even some do unfortunately but you know her in her case she she didn't understand the predator mentality and she didn't understand that she very is very unlikely she was the only one you know I, I think had she known that and kind of knew that he's potentially doing it to other people then she more would be more le- and potentially doing it to her best friend. Maybe I don't know that right. for sure, but there, that possibility is always there. That because she was a very protective person, not just for other, but I think maybe things would have been a little bit different. That she, maybe she would have opened up at the thought that maybe he's doing it to his sister. Then the, that protective mode and anger towards him maybe would have taken over, and then she would have spoken out. And anger right. I know oftentimes has a very negative association but anger has a place and it's a it's a powerful and useful emotion at times that we can use and uh, so things definitely I think with more knowledge and more education maybe things would have turned out differently and maybe they wouldn't you know it's it really is dependent on the individual as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well so you
1: you grew up in the dance and modeling world I understand yeah Yeah. (laughs) and I was I'll admit I was doing some research and digging around on your website and social media and stuff, just educating myself about who you are before the interview. And one of the interesting things that you talk about on the study of violence site is that because of your involvement in those two worlds, you develop some quote deep insights into the victimization that occurs in them. It's like, what did you
2: see and what did you learn from that? First of all, the the entertainment industry in general, and that's a very wide description because I'm not just talking about, you know, the TV and movie industry or Hollywood's specifically but the entertainment industry as far as even training goes you know the modeling industry the dance industry acting drama industry all of it attracts extreme narcissists right and it's Mm -hmm. kind of like a predator prey filled industry there are a lot of damaged people that end up in both is far as you know the antisocial individuals go and the traumatized they're both traumatized individuals both the anti individual and then you know the person that does have empathy but has a lot of um, traumatic experiences that attracts us and, you know creative people tend to be very sensitive individuals and as far as you know narcissism goes having being in the limelight in the spotlight and and that is very attractive to these individuals so of course the the entertainment industry is going to attract these people they're also you know the predators intuitively know that people that are traumatized are going to be in this industry and they like I said earlier they have a sixth sense about who they can target and who they can't and there is no shortage of potential quote-unquote victims in this industry in these industries and I I certainly saw it for I Heard stories, I should say. I never personally saw things happen because had I seen things, I w- I'm the person that speaks up and says something and calls things out. But I heard stories afterwards, uh, you know, after things happened, you know, certain photographers that were inappropriate with younger models. They would, you know, try and ask parents that were present as chaperones to step out of the room to make the model more comfortable, which is, and most parents wouldn't, of course, but there are some parents that really don't have their own voice and they don't want to embarrass their child and they'll step out and then inappropriate things are said and inappropriate behavior happens, but there's a lot of grooming in these industries too. You know, they they love bomb just like a romantic partner does and they butter you up and say, you you can do this and that, but you know, they slowly groom them with a promise of making their dreams come true. And if you're a young girl or a young boy, because it happens to, men as well, you, and all you want is your dream to come true. They, they, they they pounce on that. The predators, mm-hmm. they pounce on it. So uh, just a lot of really inappropriate behavior, even in the, the smallest ways, like certain comments, I, I can remember hearing the time I didn't realize they, they were imp- inappropriate, because I was so young. A lot of my realization came a- after the fact, while well, I was, you know, years later, when I hadn't modeled in years, and it, and it was just things that, you know, I don't think people realize are testing grounds. Little jokes, small little Mm. comments that they kind of try and play off as a compliment, but it's very they're very inappropriate. And you know, as women or girls, particularly, we're you know taught to be nice and laugh things off, and you know, boy, quote unquote, boys will be boys. And and, and when the reality is, is that these aren't boys making these comments; these are grown ass men making Mm -hmm. these comments, and you're a child, and that's the other. thing too is that a lot of teen girls think of themselves as adults and they're not you are not adults yet You, you are still considered legally a child and you are physically still a child you know mentally emotionally you're not an adult yet and that's something too that I think needs to Be taught to children as well, especially teens. I know that you think you're an adult and you want to be treated like an adult, but this is a stark reality of adulthood and, and that, you know, perspective and desire can be exploited can potentially be exploited by by predators because they know that, you know, they know that they want to be treated like an adult. They they want to get the attention that they're not getting elsewhere and, and, and from home or wherever. And they will exploit it and use it to groom them and potentially victimize them. So, you know, it was a lot of inappropriate just comments and jokes made. And then there were things, you know, stories that I heard uh, years after about some pretty scary situations overseas in places like europe and the like at, at casting calls and jobs where you know they, this model gets hired and they go to the job and it's you know an, a normal high paying or any paying modeling job there is more than just a photographer there there's you know hair and makeup and there's a a crew they're working mm-hmm. it and and you know they show up and it's just the photographer which often that's a should be a red flag as far as you know professional modeling it goes within an agency and there is inappropriate behavior the agency was contacted and, and told about this and the agency didn't do anything or, or brush it off because they don't want to lose the client they don't you know so there's too many agencies and managers that put their clients whether that is you know The actor, the model, the dancer, they put their needs and their well-being aside for the sake of making money and keeping, you know, good, good names and and bigger name clients on their, on their roster. That's more important to them for their success of their agency than the well-being of of their model or their Mm -hmm. dancer or or, or their actor. So, yeah, it was just, you know, and and, and to seeing how many girls particularly girls that have been through stuff that, that kind of flock into these industries and they're, they're, they're seeking out. It's not all of them by any means. There's some that, that um, truly are in it cause they're very creative and they don't have, they've never been abused. They've never been assaulted. They don't have that experience. Um, but there is definitely a, a significant percentage of them that seek out these industries for validation Right. You know, and and an outlet to express themselves. And these are great, these can be great outlets to express yourself, but the atmosphere and environment that is bringing them in to express themselves is toxic and not healthy. A lot of the time, not all the time. There's some, I've met some very wonderful protective people in these industries as well. But it's not the same as, say, art therapy or music therapy, where they can go and have that same outlet and that same ability to express and, and get healing from. It can do quite the opposite effect and, and do more damage if they're not careful and none of these you know my experience none of these agencies or or schools or studios or even talk to their their students or potential models or or anyone about predator behavior about Mm -hmm. inappropriate behavior you know they'll talk about eating healthy and you know because they're very aware of of eating disorders and the like that can can happen and they'll talk about that but they miss the link that a lot of eating disorders are have a link of a history of sexual abuse mom is a nurse and she worked in a live-in eating disorder clinic for many, many, many years. And 99% of her clientele had experienced incest or sexual abuse in childhood. So this is very, very Very, very common in in that. So there's that link. So they'll teach about that, about, you know, eating properly and healthy and a healthy body image, but no knowledge on trauma or no talking about protecting themselves, no talk about boundaries, no talk about blah, 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 this and that. It's just, you know, you have to work hard and do what the client wants and, and that's it. Yeah. Wow. What an environment that is just set up for predators and prey it really really is and you know after a a point more so the modeling than the dance industry in my experience um the modeling industry particularly is is definitely worse but it's why i I, you know and even just bullying amongst you know the owners and the 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 agency employees and stuff that that happened and the drama and the it's ridiculous out of hand and to the point that i left i had enough i left and then i took a break for a number of years and then i started On my own, and I did it again on my own as a free, Mm -hmm. no agent, no agency. I did it as a, you know, as a free agent, if you will. And I booked more jobs. I was able to pick and choose. I made more money that way too, and. You know, I worked with pretty much all female photographers, and it just snowballed. So, you know, anyone out there that's listening that, you know, in the model, you know, modeling has changed a lot because of social media as well. It's not the same now as it was back, you know, when I did it with the agency. But there is that option now that you can be a free agent and you can promote yourself and you don't need an agency to try and control you and who isn't going to give a, a crap about your well-being, isn't talking, isn't concerned about predators or, you know, is is making excuses for them. You have much more control and power in your hands than you may think you do. Yeah, well, that's a great insight
1: to share for anybody who really wants to be in sort of the arts and the performing arts space definitely yeah, it's yeah. yeah. and there I mean just go. in my head I'm thinking oh my gosh I need to get you back for another episode because I'm getting so many more questions I want to ask you about
2: <laughs> I'm always <laughs> open anytime you want to do a second one I'm definitely here for sure would love to oh yeah I'm, I'm making notes as we go
1: <laughs> so when did you start teaching self-defense like what was your path to getting there why did you start doing that
2: so uh, where do I start on this part of the story? So my, my sister's passing was a catalyst towards that, definitely. But there were certainly experiences that I had been going through prior to her passing that also contributed to that. I had, I've been married, you know, I'm with Rich, is Richard Dimitri is, is my husband now. Before him, I was married for, for 10 years and I didn't realize it at the time, but I had gone been been developing anxiety. And it was it started slow. And it wasn't every day or every week. It was just kind of seemingly sporadic. I would get these panic attacks or, you know, anxiety, lower level and more anxiety attacks kind of here and there. And I didn't really understand why. And I thought it was because I had a B12 deficiency. I thought it was all kinds of different things. I had, you know, no idea that it was in, you know, the environment I was living in. And, you know, so I sought out a counsellor. She we kind of worked through some things and through counseling and therapy, I came to realize that I was living in a toxic environment, what she described as emotional abuse. But not, not psychological abuse so much, where it was very intentional and controlling and, you know, name-calling all the time. It was, you know, mood swings and living in a house of eggshells and kind of this vicious circle where it was, you know, things were good for a bit and then, you know, they were not good. They were very toxic and it was, you know, a lot of anger outbursts and, you know, withdrawal and... Just, just just all kinds of, I could go on and on about the things that I experienced, but over time, that put me slowly but surely into a constant state of fight and flight, living in a Mm -hmm. house of eggshells. So this is where the anxiety came from. So I was ended up being at the time diagnosed with GAD, General Anxiety Disorder. I was briefly on medication for that, which definitely helped. I sought out yoga on a much more therapeutic and regular basis, which did wonders for me. I mean, it, it literally, it saved my life. It saved my, my mental health. It, it saved me. Yoga saved me for sure. I, I got to the point where I didn't need to be on medication anymore. The yoga and the counseling um, was helping a lot with that. But I still was in, in this relationship. I still didn't, you know, have... The courage to quite leave because I had that mentality of, oh, he needs my help. It's not on purpose. He doesn't do it because he's, you know, an angry, mean, villainous person. It's because he's in pain too. And, you know, maybe I can help him like I've been able to help myself. Well, you can't help anyone who doesn't want help. That's like rule number one. Mm If they don't want help, forget it. (laughs) It's not going to happen. So, Fast forward to December of 2015, and my, about two days before, 23rd of December, two days before Christmas, my sister passes away from a heroin overdose, which sent me reeling. We were very, very close. I had always kind of, a while before, I had made, you know, years before, peace with the fact that that was always a possibility, that she could mm-hmm. lose this struggle. However, that year before her passing, she had been doing really well. She really had. She went. She saw a, a shaman and had done ayahuasca, and it did wonders mm-hmm. for her. It literally. There were no more angry outbursts, no more cycles of of shame and using. It was. She was doing really the best I've seen her in years. And an unfortunate incident of you know catching her boyfriend at the time cheating sent her uh, reeling uh, and and threw her off the the wagon and she used and unfortunately used too much and, and, and ended up dying from that. Mm -hmm. And before she had passed, because yoga had helped me so much, I had wanted to become a yoga teacher and I, but I didn't want to just become, you know, a yoga, any yoga teacher. I wanted to find something that a specific program that worked with people with trauma particularly people with substance abuse disorder domestic violence mental health struggles and the like and there was nowhere I couldn't find anywhere they were all your average you know yoga teacher certification with with Mm -hmm. you know they're all very basic all have the same kind of structure and I couldn't find anything so she passes away Fast forward to the beginning of January, the day after her service, I wake up and I have this voice in my head and it says, look for yoga training. It's like screaming in my head. The first thing I hear when I wake up, look for (laughs) yoga teacher training around Victoria, which is where my parents live and where my sister lived at the time, Victoria, B.C. So I do, I hop online, I Google, and the first place that pops up is a yoga training, yoga teacher training studio that has a trauma sensitive training program. (laughs) <laughs> and it's three blocks away from my parents' house. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I, know, I couldn't believe it. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. The star is a lie, right? So I, and they were also ended up being like almost $1,000 cheaper than anywhere else I was able to find across Canada that didn't even have the trauma sensitive portion of it. So I was just floored, elated over this. So I signed up, registered immediately. Four months later, I'm there in the, you know, six week intensive, eight, eight, you know, eight hours a day, five days days a week for six weeks in this intensive practice, which is incredibly cathartic, very healing. And I finally ended my marriage after that, that six weeks away and just cathartic purging of everything and realization and red flags going off in the trauma sense that a teaching portion that, you know, I am not just suffering from GAD and grief at this point because of the loss of my sister and my dog as well, who had died two months after my sister. I had PTSD. I checked off Mm -hmm. every single checkbox, right? These are the symptoms. These are what, and it has to go on longer than a month. I'm like, holy crap, that's me. So I couldn't believe it. I'm like, how does my counselor not see this? How did this not get picked up? And that's where I began to learn that not all counselors and therapists, while they can be great and wonderful, because my counselor at the time certainly helped me a lot. She's the one that pushed me into yoga. She sent, helped send me on this path, but she wasn't up to date on trauma education and trauma-informed care and all of that stuff. So I sought out a separate, a different therapist when I got home. I ended my my relationship. I left. I sought out a different therapist. I got diagnosed with complex PTSD because it was from multiple things. It was the grief and, as well as the the abuse and other things that had happened, and. From there, I just dove down, like we spoke earlier, that rabbit hole, the rabbit hole of educating on trauma. I I gobbled Mm -hmm. up every piece of info I could have. I ended up, Richard and I had been friends on Facebook for a number of years. um, When I sought out years before self-defense, based from an experience of a friend of mine who had been violently raped on a date with someone in a hotel room. And we sought out self defense after that. And that's how I found him. We had a mutual friend, and I asked the mutual friend what can you tell me? Where do I go? Because I Google self-defense and everything is martial arts. And I'm sorry, but I knew immediately they're not talking about prevention. Nobody's talking about domestic violence on this. It's all art and movie Hollywood crap, like, Mm -hmm. which is beautiful. And I love it. I always have. It's wonderful and incredible and impressive as hell to watch. But there's no way in hell that that's going to would have helped my friend in this situation. It certainly wouldn't have helped my sister at 11 years old. right? Right. So, you know, and he was like, you're absolutely right. This is who you want to speak to. You stay away from martial arts. They're great for confidence and all that stuff. And there's aspects of it that can help for sure, like staying on your feet and, you know, hands up and all that stuff. But as far as like reality goes and gross motor skill, you need to talk to Rich. So I reached out to him. We became friends on Facebook. And then, you know, life took over and I ended up not doing much else after that. So we hook, we end up in contact again in 2016. We start chatting. We're talking about all kinds of things. We end up falling in love with each other. We end up falling in love. (laughs) So I go out there. We had so much in common. It was, it was unbelievable how much we had from loss of siblings to all kinds of things that we had. We had very parallel experiences throughout our life and, belief systems and, and morals and eth- all kinds of things. So I go out there, I end up training with him and being become certified and safe with safe international Mm-hmm. And I just kind of fell down that rabbit hole. It just, you know, I, I think it just the stars aligned. And I'm not a an flighty, airy kind of person. I, I'm a little bit more practical and, and very much on logic and, and rationality. But things just really seem to unfold and align perfectly. And mm-hmm. I do believe in attraction. And I think that that was a big part of it is that this purpose driven life that I had started discovering and, you know, w- walking brought me to him and him to me likewise, right? So it just I realized that, you know, if trauma is my passion, learning about it and educating people about it and healing from it, which was the yoga, mm-hmm. there's also the prevention of it as well, which is where yeah. self-protection and and self uh, violence prevention comes in. So it was kind of those two things. And then I became to realize prior to to meeting him was that trauma is a root core of all of our societal issues, all of them. If you dig deep enough on some of them, things like oppressive world leaders, they're psychopathic and sociopathic. And where does that come from? How does a sociopath happen? They're made from trauma. It is mm. the cause of everything from, you know, mental health, um, struggles, um, substance abuse disorders, to domestic violence. You know, a lot of abuse, not all abused children become abusers, but enough of them that we need to be concerned and putting more focus and um, education in it. Um, to systemic racism, to religious oppression, to genocide, to, you know, collective traumas, generational trauma. I could go on and on and on, but it is the core to all of the pain in our society and all of the struggles and violence causes trauma and trauma causes violence. It's like that perpetual snake eating itself. Mm -hmm. And so Rich and I hooked up and I kind of brought that light to him and he was like, Holy crap. (laughs) that's a missing link I've been looking for forever yeah. and it's been right in front of my face for so long because he has PTSD too and it was literally right in front of his face but just couldn't make that connection and so that's how I got into it just you know it was that added factor it became a huge passion of mine and and I I believe fully that it is the most important topic in self-protection and self-defense Without that knowledge of trauma, you are missing out on so much as a teacher, as a practitioner, as a, as a student. You have to know about it because it plays a role in everything that we talk about in the self-protection and self-defense industry and prevention industry. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's, con- it's a constant presence. Yeah, it, it is- and
1: I'll just tell you, I mean, even just doing the one little seminar with you that I did... You know, it's like, I know there's a lot that I don't know, but I don't know what I don't know. And exactly, I mean, that was only like, I don't know if it was like an hour or 90 minutes, but I have so half. many notes off of it. And I was just sitting here going, holy cow, I had no clue, no clue. And one of the points that you brought up was when you're teaching, the odds are, I mean, 100 percent that there's somebody in your course who has experienced some kind of violence or trauma. And so if you don't understand trauma and you don't teach a little differently, I mean, all kinds of things go not well that could go much, much better. As a woman and as a mother of daughters, I know that life can feel pretty damn scary and with good reason. Whether you've experienced violence before or you're just aware that it's out there and it stops you from moving freely around this world, you're not alone. The numbers are not pretty. It's estimated that 35% of women worldwide have experienced either physical or sexual intimate partner violence or violence by a non-partner. The National Crime Victimization Survey reported that more than 600 women in the US are raped or sexually assaulted every day. But I want you to know that you don't have to live in fear. You and your daughter can and deserve to navigate this world feeling confident, prepared, and most of all, completely capable of taking care of yourself and your loved ones. Because you were born ready. When you learn how to recognize and use the self-protection tools that you were born with, your innate built-in self-defense system, you can keep yourself safe. And I can show you how to do that. In my new program, Born Ready, the three life-saving self-defense tools for empowered women, you will get a quick, powerful introduction to key self-defense concepts and tools to jumpstart your safety. Here's just a bit of what you'll cover. The first module is all about your amazing body, how your body and brain are designed to protect you. You landed on the planet well-equipped to keep yourself safe. And yeah, we've been domesticated, but this is where you will learn how to get in touch with your built-in protection system. Module two is all about nonviolent postures. Now, most assaults do not start out of the blue with violence. They start with an interaction between two or more people that goes down the wrong path. So in this module, you discover how to stop a situation from becoming unsafe and how to keep yourself safe if it does go violent. Module three is Tools and Targets. It's all about how to use your human weapon tools to fight if you should ever become the victim of a true ambush, somebody attacking you with no warning, or if you become involved in a confrontation that turns violent. This is exactly what you need to lay the foundation for your personal safety so that you can begin navigating the world with confidence. This course is an investment in your safety and in the safety of your children and loved ones. It's an investment with an invaluable return, personal power, confidence, and safety. If you are interested in learning what can save your life, please click the link in the show notes or go to www.cynthiajolikerud.com bornready born ready. To find out how you can enroll in the Born Ready course, I'm offering it to podcast listeners for just $97 if you enroll using the coupon code podcast. You can make this investment with absolutely no risk because you are covered by my 100% money back guarantee. If within a week of enrolling in the course, you don't feel uplifted, encouraged, and empowered to keep yourself safe, then just send me an email and I'll send you a refund. You and I both know that every woman is born to be a badass. We all have innate power and abilities, but we often don't know that they're there or we don't know how to unleash them. So enroll in Born Ready to feel ready, to be confident, and to live with the freedom that you deserve. So I'd like, if you don't mind, to have you talk a little bit about what exactly is trauma-informed teaching and how is it different from ordinary teaching, non-trauma-informed teaching? Can you dig into that a little bit? Because that really blew my mind, just the little taste
2: that I got with you a month or so ago. Yeah. So, so I have to make a big clarification first and f- foremost, because I see a lot and I, I'm certainly not criticizing it or complaining because I'm just so happy that more and more instructors and people in the industry are, are clicking in and they're like, holy crap. Yeah, we need to know about this. Um, but I see a lot of people, instructors and the like teachers that, you know, are posting about all their, their studying that they're doing on, on trauma and learning about trauma and it's, amazing and it's incredible and it's so important it really is so 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 important but there's it's one thing to be trauma informed and to know about trauma and what trauma actually is and expanding our definition of trauma and you know what qualifies as trauma and how it can manifest in the body and what certain you know behaviors that can happen and and what it does to the brain Um, very very important to understand all of that but then there is trauma sensitive teaching. Mm -hmm. So we can know all about all there is about trauma. But do you know how to apply that in your class? Do you know the do's and don'ts? Like specifically, do you know how to set up your classroom in a specific way that creates a sense of safety so that people feel safe in that environment. They're not on edge. They're not on guard. They can actually feel comfortable in that, in that, that place. That might sound like it's an obvious thing, but it, it, it isn't always an obvious way that we do that. And there are little things that we can do that help establish that, that environment of safety right off the bat. And then there is things like, you know, how we teach Certain things. So, how we teach specific drills, how we incorporate language, what language we should use, what language we shouldn't use. Simple words. It's the most simple, the simplest words that you would never give a second thought to can be can trigger people. And then there is, you know, how we teach offering choices and options to individuals people with certain coping mechanisms one as an example let's call it fawn there are actually sec- six sorry six coping mechanisms not four most people are familiar with four there are actually two that they added in the last couple of years and they're not overly known to the general mm-hmm. public and in even a lot of literature because these are very new findings in through the trauma research center and the national institute of behavioral medicine and the like, right? So there, there are one specific. Let's talk about fawn because people, most people, know what what fawn is, and that's very common in people who live in domestic violence. Let's say, for example, where they don't, they're not familiar with choice or, or options or having options or even the idea of being able to make a choice and make their own decisions and make their own choice. And when you lived in a a household or an environment or a culture even, doesn't necessarily need to be an environment, but a certain culture from a different country, let's say, for example, where they weren't allowed choice. They were always told what to do, you know, religious oppression, for example, what to do, what to wear, what to eat, everything was decided for them. So giving them options in the class, for example, not only helps them within that class to get used to and figure out what they prefer, but it can transcend the classroom. So this is another thing about trauma-sensitive teaching is the methods that we use and the way that we teach and the considerations that we take and how we teach drills and teach certain things can transcend the classroom. It can help them incorporate things like options and choices and boundaries and saying no and and you know certain exercises that we can do with them that that help them learn how to say no, how to set boundaries right beyond the classroom. And that's incredibly powerful. It's an opportunity to facilitate further healing and and further empowerment and confidence beyond that classroom. It's not just about the physical movements. Physical movements yes, can build confidence to a point, but it has its limits. It definitely can help, but there are certain drills that we can do that are not physical. Certain activities and exercises that we can do that are going to help these students even more and they're going to be more likely to retain the information. That's another thing is do you know how to teach? in a specific manner that will help students retain the information trauma affects our memory and not just the memory of the events or events or experiences that were traumatic, but actually remembering day-to-day things like remembering appointments, remembering where, you know, just forgetfulness. That's that's a common symptom of PTSD. It's a, an after effect that can happen. So being able to retain information is also very important in our, in our class, how to access that information is also very, very important. So there is a difference between being informed on trauma and then being sensitive in trauma-informed, sensitive in tra- teaching and the methods to use, right? We can go into a classroom right. and, and, and know, okay, I know what trauma is, but can you recognize it in your students with behavior, certain body language, not just behavior, but physical Mannerisms. Right. There's That's certain right. physical mannerisms that manifest with one of these six coping mechanisms. Some might have a couple that they float in and out of certain ones, and it's not just fight. Everyone seems to think everyone who takes self-defense is in the fight coping mechanism. Yeah, that can definitely be common, but so are some other ones. That they're can not you talk about with. about those six? Just briefly, like describe what they are and, and like um, how you might recognize them. I would actually prefer to, to keep it into the class. Uh, into can, it. Can we point people to your class? I'd yeah, like to definitely. do that in the show notes for sure. Definitely. <laughs> so just because that, that will take up a lot of time to to, to go through it. Yeah, um, it is it is deep. And and and, and, it, and because it's they are so important, I don't want to give people limited information on it, because that yeah. could potentially do damage, more damage than harm, right? So Can you just tell what the six are so people know? Because I know everybody knows fight, flight, and freeze. That's like what everybody goes to. Yeah, those are the most common. So fight, flight, freeze, fawn, which is also known as submit or collapse. And -hmm. then there's attach, cry for help, and please and appease. Cool. Yeah, they're interesting things. They're very, very interesting. And, you know, some are, are more well known and understood than others, And they manifest in very specific ways, most of them. There's some that can kind of be similar to one another as well. Um, But there are certain ways that we, you know, do's and don'ts about interacting with students that you might see these trauma responses and coping mechanisms manifesting. Um, There are dos and don'ts, and and also recognizing them in yourself. Absolutely, and that's another thing I talk about is, you know, we most of us in this industry, dare I say, you know, ninety nine percent of us are in this industry because of our own traumas, because something happened. A lot of us are. Are you certain that you are not projecting? Are you projecting (laughs) your own trauma onto your students? Are you unknowingly? It it doesn't mean that you're a bad teacher, but that, again, this goes back to like I was talking about at the beginning of our our talk is self-awareness, being self-aware. And then what can we do? How can we recognize it? And what can we do before class to prepare and after class to kind of ground ourselves after as well? Because as you know, teaching, while it's incredibly fulfilling and wonderful, it can also be very emotionally and psychologically draining when you're teaching yes. this, this topic matter, right. And, and the subject matter and you're around a lot of energy. If you're someone who has a lot of empathy and um, you're an empath, you're, you're very much affected by other people's energies. So um, we have to also take care of ourselves to be the best teachers that we can be. Yes. And especially if, women
1: share their stories or share what's currently going on and are looking for support and advice like in the moment it can be very hard to not kind of go too far and be too available and yes kind of inappropriately over engaged yeah, yeah. And, and even yeah. even engaging after the class you know because yeah. most and of founders. us aren't therapists right and yeah. we need to be able to refer people to resources and and people who are you know, really,
2: this is their thing is to, is to help people with trauma. Um, And that's that's exactly it. And that's the other thing that, you know, I go into detail too, is that, you know, your, your own boundaries and, and how to establish boundaries, because that's really hard for some people and not just students to, you know, respect boundaries, but, you know, put their own boundaries up. That's a good lesson to have in your classes is talking about boundaries for sure. But also, you as the teacher exploring your own boundaries and how to set them with certain students in a way that won't alienate them that will still mm-hmm. encourage them to, to trust you and collaborate with you, student and teacher, but to understand that what your role is very clearly to them um, and you know to really encourage that this is something that they need to go to a therapist for, a counselor for and then explaining as well how to find a therapist, the proper way to find a good therapist and what good therapy and good counseling looks like because mm-hmm. not all counselors are created equal, like I said earlier. I, I've had right. a great counselor. She was wonderful. She introduced me to yoga and almost was a huge part of putting me on the path I'm on now but she wasn't nowhere did we talk about PTSD in you know in my sessions with her it was you have general anxiety disorder right and you know and it wasn't until I was in trauma sensitive training that I checked off all those boxes and realized, man, you, you, of course, you can't self-diagnose. Um, but when you're looking at a checklist and you check off all of them, <laughs> it's, you know, you still it's need to clue. go and actually, yeah, it's a big clue. It's a pretty big clue. So you still have to go, you know, obviously and get it done professionally and get some help and insight. But, um, you know, how, how we, you know, we as teachers, we have that opportunity. It's, it's a huge responsibility, but it's an incredibly important and wonderful one. What a what a wonderful opportunity we have to facilitate further healing and empowerment and growth in our students. And it's like you said, it's a 100% chance that you're going to have a student in front of you that has trauma. And, and if it is only one, that's unbelievable. It's I would wager right. <laughs> my life savings, which isn't a lot, but it's still, I would, that it's definitely going to be a pretty significant portion of the students in front of you that have experienced something and maybe not directly, but someone close to them, which is also traumatic as well. Being a second party, whether a witness to the actual event happening or hearing about it happening to someone that you love is also very traumatic. Um, And, you know, that's, that's something Um, To also consider as well is that, you know, trauma comes in many forms. It's not just about something happening to you, but to people around you as well. Expanding Mm -hmm. our definition of trauma is incredibly important. What are some
1: of the concepts, strategies and tools that you think women absolutely positively must know if they want to not just feel safe, but actually be safer?
2: <clears throat> so, uh, psychology is, is definitely a big one. Um, you know, understanding. <laughs> Everyone talks about awareness, and they kind of pay lip service to it. And most people, when they're talking about awareness, they're talking about environmental awareness, um, and that's more in regards to stranger attacks. And while it definitely has its place and it's important for sure, um, th- that's kind of where it ends for in a lot of courses. They don't talk about the awareness of red flags within um, human beings, a relationship. Um, you know, awareness of your home environment, awareness of your work environment, you know, intimate partner violence. Yes, is very important. And, uh, you know, definitely the most important one to educate on and, and learn about, but also workplace, the number one cause of death for women in a workplace is homicide. Um, okay. And yeah. And, you know, so that's important to recognize too, is, is, you know, workplace um red flags and green flags, friendships as well. Um, Not all violence is physical. You know, dare I say a lot of violence is psychological and emotional. And that certainly is, I can tell you firsthand is incredibly damaging to an individual. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, awareness of um, the psychology and human behavior in relation to violence as a whole, not just physical violence, but understanding Narcissistic personality disorder, extreme narcissism, um, sociopathy, and psychopathy—you uh, know what gaslighting is—all these psychological factors are very, very, very important for women to learn. Uh, as well as your intuition is incredibly uh, powerful tool. We all have that 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 power within us, that intuition, but it can certainly be affected by past trauma. Um, a lot of people can be completely out of touch with it because of. Certain trauma responses and coping mechanisms. So, learning about right. intuition, how to get in touch with it more, understanding the difference between paranoia and intuition, how we can work on that intuition and and make it stronger. That's through self awareness and healing and things like meditation and education, understanding red flags and green flags and trusting. Your, learning to trust yourself as well. Um, you know, all these prevention things I think are the most important because that's what we should focus on. Is preventing nothing can happen to us if we're not there so we want to try and prevent and then we can sometimes still do everything right and still find ourselves in a situation so can we circumvent how can we de-escalate this and what does proper de-escalation look like you know uh, you know we have six rules that we teach you know you don't challenge you don't command they're all on uh, studyofviolence.com in the foundation of, of violence course um but how to speak to someone um and communicate that with them in a proper way without letting our ego take over and, and not mm-hmm. taking things personal and the like, right? We don't want to be a puppet to our ego. And we need to understand that some, most people are good people having a bad day and lashing out, but some people aren't, they're the bad guy. So how do we differentiate between those two types of individuals? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very important. Red flags, you know, psychology, intuition. And as far as um, you know, when it comes down to defending a lot of women uh, and I completely understand it, have a hard time coming to grips with the thought or the possibility of ever having to hurt, physically hurt another person, regardless of the fact that they're trying to hurt you. It's very, very hard, hard for them to kind of even consider bridging that gap. So the proper mindset in discussing that is also very important. And the proper mindset is very, very important. And now how do we do that? What do, how do we bridge that gap? Well, love is an incredibly powerful tool. Who in your life do you love and do you want to see again? Who this person that's in front of you right now, regardless of who they are to you, what, who else are they hurting by hurting you? Who else is it in your life that you love and care about? You have kids, you have parents, you have, uh, you know, a partner, friends, who a dog. It, it could be anything. There's mm-hmm. something in your life, someone or something in your life that you love. And if it were happening to them, you would want them to fight back and get back to you. That's without a doubt. Every single person on earth would say, yes, I would want them to fight back and get back to me. How would it feel if they didn't? How would it feel to you if you had to hear something horrific happen to someone you love and they didn't fight back? That's the same attitude and the same perspective that they're going to have if the tables were turned. So you tap into that love that you have for people. And regardless of who this person is in front of you, regardless of what has happened, they are now the human organism in front of you trying to take you away or prevent you from seeing the people you love and care about. And you want to hug again. That's incredibly powerful mindset. Yeah. That's Um, a great reframe. It really is. And, and, you know, for me, myself on a personal level, um, for me, it's my, yes, it's rich, of course, but it's my parents are the big one. They already lost a child. My parents already lost my sister. I will be Mm -hmm. damned if they are going to lose another child. So, anyone, I have a right, uh, a responsibility to them as their daughter to, when someone steps and threatens me, to try and, if I can, de escalate it, if that's possible. If it's not, to keep my ego in check and try and de escalate it. If it's not, well, they're, they're going to see me again uh, until, uh, if I don't care what it takes, <laughs> I'm going back home and I'm hugging them. Mm -hmm. So that, that for me is, is it's, it's not just self protection, it's, you know, protection of the people in your life as well, having, you know, responsible um, to to them as well. Yeah, it's important. And it goes into, you know, even the choices, self preservation, I believe goes beyond just, you know, violence, it's, you know, how are you taking care of yourself? How are you eating? How are you taking care of your body? Uh, you know, you have um, people who rely on you and love you and want you to be healthy and be there. We have that kind of responsibility to be the healthiest, best version of ourselves that we can be for the, not just ourselves—that's important—but also for the people that we love. Yes, yeah. I, I often, when I talk about this, you know, we talk about what could it
1: cost you if you if you don't take action in the moment. And one of the places that I like to go is, you know, it's not just what it could cost you. It's what it could cost the people that care about you. And that's exactly what you're talking about. It's, yeah, you know, really
2: tap into that. It really is. It's it's incredibly powerful and important. And um, if I could quickly just share a story of a student of mine Um mm-hmm. That is a a wonderful example of the power of of mindset. Um, She's, at the time she was 14. This is uh, two years ago, almost two years ago now that this happened. So she's 16 now, but at the time 14. And I taught her in high school uh, when I was teaching full-time for SAFE in the high schools before the pandemic hit. And um, her name, I'm going to refer to her as M., to not say her name fully, but we'll call her M. And M at the time, uh, 14, about my height. So she's about 5'8", but, you know, know, 90 pounds, soaking wet, very lanky. And shy, very sweet girl, very shy, though. Um, She did great in class when it came time to the mock attack. She didn't want to do it in front of everybody else. Um, She wanted to do it with just, you know, the, the teacher and the mock attacker and myself present, that's it. And um, she did great. So fast forward, this is about May, 2019, fast forward to the end of July. And she is visiting her aunt, who lives about an hour away from from where she lives with her parents and her family. She's visiting her aunt, and her aunt has a, a boyfriend who her aunt has been with for, you know, over two years. And by all means, she consider, M considers her like her uncle. She's known him for quite some time. The family loves him. Everything's good. The day that this incident happened they had a, what she described as a beautiful day together they went mini golfing they went to the movies out for dinner some shopping a wonderful day she, later that night she goes to bed she wakes up at about you know after midnight sometime 12 30 or so to him kicking her door, bedroom door in rushing to the bed in a frenzy ripping her off the bed throwing her onto the ground mounting her and begins to ground and pound her and attempt to rape her. And this is from a sleep that she wakes yeah. up to this and zip ties her hands in the front. So not b- from, not behind her, but from the front zip ties her hands. She um, immediately begins to attempt to shred, to, to goes for the eyes tries to go for the throat, which is very hard on the ground. Um, this guy on another note is a amateur MMA fighter. Oh, lovely. And so she's, you know, he's trained in MMA and she's a 14-year-old 90-pound girl with her hands up tied. She goes to town and rips him apart, rips his face apart. He doesn't stop because this guy is high on steroids and coke and meth and all kinds. He's high as a kite, um, having a psychotic break. And she keeps going. She doesn't stop. She loses conscien- consciousness briefly at one point, comes to, and he's still hitting her. She continue, She zaps out of it and continues to, to keep going for the eyes, ripping in, trying to grab his hair, get him pulser, twisting his shirt, doing whatever she can, but she doesn't stop. She described it um, at points where she was exhausted and she wanted, she remembers thinking, I can't, I'm exhausted, I can't keep going. And her parents face would flash in her head. Mm-hmm. She said that she heard my voice. You want to see your parents again, you keep fighting. And it was like, she just it described it like um, a defibrillator that they, you know, when when right. someone's heart stops, yeah, like that. And it zapped energy in her and she got angry. She would get angry. She turned her fear and, and shock into anger and got angry at him and kept going, kept going, kept going, kept going. She lost consciousness again and intuitively played dead at this point to which point he got off of her next thing she knows she wakes up and she's back in bed she wakes up and she at first thinks that she has dreamt all this it was all a dream a nightmare until she realizes her hands are zip tied and there's blood everywhere she looks over and um and he is deceased on the ground he took his own life Holy cow. During during this attack, she was wondering where her aunt was. Why hasn't my aunt come in? And he had killed her aunt before coming in and attacking her. It took the cops an hour to get there because they she didn't know the address. And they had to try and pinpoint her location. Um, she survived. And she... Uh, The following December, she came when I was back at the school to teach a new group of students, she came bravely and courageously in front of the class and shared her story. She's a warrior. She's what I refer to as a capeless hero, someone who who um, has the courage to share their story after something like that has happened. And she credits that course the drilling in that I do when I teach my girls of the importance of mindset and that you don't stop and vital targets, eyes, Mm -hmm. eyes, eyes, throat, you don't stop and listen to your intuition. And it saved her life. She said, if I had not taken this course, I would not be here. So mindset is, is very, very powerful. Along with many other tools, you know, the other thing I would teach is gross motor skills um, mm-hmm. understanding, you know, flinch response and flinching when you flinch, you know, that flinch happens, you go, you're going for eyes and throat and, um, and understanding the law and all of that stuff. So, um, you know, if I would refer, refer people to studyofviolence.com, particularly the Foundation of Violence course and everything. Yes, in you that have course. some great, great free courses on there.
1: I, I think it's mm-hmm. awesome. The, Thank you. The depth of uh, resources that you make available for free. Um, there's really no excuse not to go there and check them out.
2: Um, yeah, which it's free, I mean, and that's, that's no <laughs> catch. Like it's not. There's no bodying or spamming. You don't have to enter an email. You just go online and learn. You're not gonna, you know, go to your Instagram or Facebook later and see a million ads from us. Or you know, it's 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 just it's free. We wanted. We believe in this information so much from the sheer volume of testimonials of of how it's changed and saved lives that we felt a responsibility and a duty to put the foundations of it for free. Now we go much right. deeper in webinars and, and masterclasses and the like, and those are paid courses, but those foundations are, are free on that site.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because I, I actually did a debate with somebody about the topic of uh, self-defense instructors saying, you know, I hope you never use this. And uh, clearly we never hope that any of our students are going to end up in a situation like yours did. Yeah, But the fact that, you know, what you want to be teaching is something that if they end up in that horrific situation where they have to use it, that what they've learned is not something that's complex motor skill, memorized techniques uh, where you have to get your cognitive brain Processing,
2: processing. yeah. That's not you know, going because to happen, there's no way it's gonna happen in her situation. Yeah, so I mean if
1: you had if you had taught her, you know, blocks and counters and you know foot movement and things like that rather than the principles yep. of you know, the mindset principles and also the movement principles, yeah. I mean, she would have been she would have been sitting there. I mean, probably she would have done something because she's a human really? being and she would have yeah. fought to survive, but the fact that what she got from you you know was was principle based yeah. and she was able to tap into that, and and I love that she heard your voice. I've I've had a couple of students say the same thing. It's like you were
2: sitting right on my shoulder talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You it's know, very touching touching to hear that. It's um, it is, but eyeball. we can't take credit for what yeah, they did. No, but nope, still, I didn't do anything. And I told her that. And she's like, "You saved my life." I'm like, "No, I didn't. You you did all of that. I just yes. gave you. I just planted seeds, and you allowed them to grow." And you, you took it, and you deserve all the credit for that. I did. I did nothing but plant seeds. Yes. yes. Well, you're and the, the one, fact that she the was the one that saved your life, <laughs> and the fact that she
1: was one of the shy ones who you yeah. know, didn't really want anybody to see her do it or anything. Yep. You know that just is so inspiring for other people to hear because yeah, I I've had women in my shy. classes who are like, I'm, you know, I'm a pacifist. I don't think I could do anything. And, you know, or I, I don't believe in violence and things like that. And yet, you know, when they come out the other side, having done some of those scenarios where they do have a, a pseudo attack and, you know, that kind of changes it a little bit.
2: Yeah, you, you know, see, then, it's interesting to see that, uh, you know, in, in the high schools, we always do the mock attacks. So we have groups of, you know, 25 to 30 or more girls. And it's always... Uh, very interesting to see just, just how each individual girl does, how they react in, in each attack. And I, I often find that the ones that are very confident and, you know, even a little bit cocky in class mm-hmm. tend to um, not freeze, but they, they certainly don't bring that same attitude a lot of the time when they not all of them, but they're enough that it's noticeable, not during the mock attack. And then the opposite will happen where you have the shy, quiet kind of restrained girl and they unleash in in the mock mm-hmm. attack. It's very interesting to see the the difference, um, the dynamic that, that happens during those mock attacks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the really cool thing is that what you come away with. Is like the seed is planted because I mean obviously you can't do twenty different scenarios. No, you know no. so like well we're going to run one for this and then we'll run one for that so that you you already have sort of the programming in your brain. You, you can only run a couple, but yeah. it's enough
2: to plant that seed that says I can. Yeah, and, and it's uh, the experience of, you know, the adrenaline dump, which is incredibly yeah. important to, to be familiar with that sudden burst of adrenaline and how your body reacts um, during it, but also after the after effect of it, too, where mm-hmm. you, know, you, you cry after or you're shaky, um, everyone kind of reacts a little bit differently, but um, it, it's a very powerful and it kind of, you know, your brain recognizes that. If something yeah. does happen and she I mean, Em even said that she said the mock attack helped her a lot because upon reflection of the incident and the training, um, that adrenaline, it was very familiar. She had the familiarity and understood um, and ref- upon reflection what her bo- why her body felt the way it did, mm-hmm. um, what, what was going on. And, you know, the other important thing that she said. Um, she shared with the other students when she came and talked to the class after which is also very important was when they teach you that you know 90 percent of the time when something happens it's by someone that you know Mm -hmm. she said that she went through everybody in her life like a rolodex everyone including him and she thought i'm safe her words i'm safe No one in my life, never in a million years, would any of them do anything to hurt me. Fast forward two months and he's trying to kill her and kills her aunt. Wow. So quite a, quite a lesson that we just don't know people, what people are going through sometimes. And then there are things like improper steroid use and drug use, which is what caused a psychotic break in him Mm -hmm. um, to take the, the, to do what he did. Wow. So we just we just never know. And these are very, very powerful um, lessons. Um, Yeah, we need to teach ourselves and young girls, too.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, that's that's one reason why I do this is like, this is what I think all girls and women should know. And we should learn it as we're growing up. Not, you know, when we're in our 20s and 30s, and have had something happen.
2: Yeah, so. not just once either, you know, it should kind of be, you know, I, the, my favorite schools um, are the ones that they do it every year. It's not just grade nine and then that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's every school year that, that, that they have this program. And those ones are really great because once you get to, you know, grade 11 and 12, after they've already taken it two years, now you can start to add certain things. Um, you know, we can get into things a little bit deeper, um, which is really fun. Um, for them. They really, really enjoy that. And, you know, especially the girls like in grade 12 that are going to be going off to college in the fall. And I mean, sexual assault statistics start going up in college. So we start to touch upon that more and um, safety and, and, you know, alcohol and and the rape drug and all that, all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, and what you had said something too about, you know, if you taught fine motor skills how that wouldn't help and you know with M situation everybody goes on and on and on about the buck and roll but the buck and roll Mm. is a fine motor skill and also wouldn't have helped her in that situation because she was wedged between a wall and a bed she's not bucking and rolling anybody (laughs) off of her you're wedged between a, a, a wall and a bed and this guy's like ground and pounding you that you're you're not even thinking buck and roll no so that's no, the, they no. don't they don't they get way too technical, a lot of programs and, and they don't consider the effects of adrenaline on the brain, um, which is very, very important. So, yeah.
1: Well, thank you for sharing that story. That is yeah. such a, a powerful story of her you know, her survival, yeah. um, but it's amazing. also a very inspirational story. I think for anybody who listens to that, and uh, I mean, we could probably talk about that story for half an hour, you know, about the different aspects of it and what you can learn from it. But um, thank yeah. you for sharing that. That was, that was awesome. Of course. I have one more question for you and then we should wrap up. Um, so how do you think
2: that women can develop their own personal power and courage? Their own personal, well, That can be a few things. Personal power and courage, I mean, it is absolutely dependent on the individual and their own life experience. If you have been through something, it is very important to understand and accept that pretending it didn't happen or putting it in the back of your mind does not work sadly and unfortunately i wish it did i'll tell you that personally i I really wish that was a very um you know effective tool but it it doesn't um work so i think that we you know to develop that personal courage and power we need to face our traumas head-on bravely we need to talk about it um i really believe that proper therapy is very important how we know where we get how we get a therapist and what kind of therapist we get like I've said a few times here is also incredibly important we want someone who is you know up to date on trauma-informed care it has evolved trauma research has evolved and is continuously evolving over the years so it's important to find a trauma informed and uh, a therapist and one that is up to date on the most current research on trauma and we have the right to interview therapists and potential counselors asking them, are you up to date on the most current trauma? What do you can you show me, you know, your current education on trauma are, what's your idea of trauma informed care look like? The answer should be collaborative and an, and an environment and relationship of trust and collaboration. And, you know, sometimes we have to find, uh, you may outgrow a therapist, so that's important too, that maybe may time to move on and find a different one, that's, that happens. Um, so that's one thing, is, is healing is a big part of that. It all comes down to healing and, and understanding too, that healing is a journey and not a destination. I think there's yes. this misconception that, you know, oh, I'm healed, I'm good to go that's just not the reality of the situation. And that's kind of sets us up for disappointment, um, unfortunately. So understanding that healing is an ongoing journey and what matters is that we look back on our journey at how far we've come, who are you now through your healing journey compared to a year ago or two years ago, three or four or five years ago. And this is where things like journaling becomes important and looking back and reflecting on who we were before and how far we've come and being self-aware and noticing, um, you know, the the things that I used to get very defensive about or my reactions or my lack of boundaries, look where I am now and how much stronger I've become, how less reactive I've become, how many more boundaries I've, you know, set and held compared to a year ago or two years ago. That's very, very uh, powerful as well. Um, I'm, I'm a big... Advocate too, like I said earlier, of the company that you keep um, surround yourself with like minded women. There's some, you know, really great online support groups, um, groups on Facebook with women that kind of have that same mentality of empowerment and sharing you know, your story and, and finding courage, um, finding things that work for you, because what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another. So, you know, work, yoga worked wonderful for me. Journaling works wonderful and amazing for me as does meditation, but that might not be someone else's cup of tea, right? It might, they might not, it may not call to them and that's okay. We find something that does and that can come in the form of like, again, we spoke about earlier is, you know, um, music therapy or art therapy, finding different outlets to express ourselves. Um, making, you know, daily promises to ourselves, small little promises that we keep and we celebrate. That could be something like, I'm going to carve out 10 minutes each morning to myself or a half hour. And then when we fulfill that promise that we made to ourselves, we celebrate it. We give ourselves Mm -hmm. a pat on the back and we be proud of ourselves for our growth and, and, and the like. So, you know, great support, healing, understanding it's a journey reflection upon how far you've come, um, understanding that what happened to you is what happened to you. It doesn't define who you are or dictate where you're going. We get to always have that choice. Um, And, you know, again, surround yourself with the most amazing people that you can And, and anyone that tries to sabotage you or pretends to be your friend to your face or maybe online and then goes behind your back. And, you know, you're going to find out pretty fast who those people are if you're paying attention and you you don't cause, you know, get in their face or cause, you just simply sift those people or, or get them out of your life or out of your um, attention, if you will. Right. We try and be very careful who we spend our time and attention on. Well, that's a great full circle back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's awesome. I did. I wasn't intentional. Just kind of things align that way sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Really no, that cool. perfect. I like that. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much. I, I know people are going to want to follow up with you and, and reach
2: out to you. Can you share where you can be found out in the world and how to get in touch with you? Absolutely. So on Facebook, they can uh, look me up, Pamela Armitage. My, the spelling should be in the in the podcast. There you can find me on there. Um, you can find our free website, uh, studyofviolence.com, lots of education on there. You can also find me on Instagram. Uh, I believe you're going to have all that on there, but it's pamela.armitage.sv, as in study violence, on Instagram there. They can also email me if anyone has any questions or inquiries or wants more information on anything at all i'm always available and open to answering questions and assisting people my email is simply pam armitage p-a-m-a-r-m-i-t-a-g-e at
1: hotmail.com cool Uh, and i have to say you did give me your twitter twitter name too which i think has now shot to the top of my list of my favorite twitter handles
2: Oh, Palm Strike Pam! Yeah, yes. (laughs) I was looking for something very unique and different, and uh, that wasn't taken, which is difficult these days. And uh, I I laughed my ass off. I got to say, I wrote that one out. I thought that was too funny. So I love um, it. I love it. And we will have all of
1: all of your contact info in the show notes, of course, uh, just to make it easy for people to go there and, and. connect with you. So I just want to say thank you so much, Pam. This has been a fabulous conversation and I am so glad that you came on the show today. And I do think we're going to have to schedule a a session too, because I do have some more questions, but I don't want to hold you on for two full hours. So (laughs) thank you so much.
2: Yeah, definitely reach out. And again, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation. It's always wonderful um, to have great conversations with with people, right? They're kind of one of the highlights of life. So I really appreciate you taking the time and inviting me on. And I am 100% open to to you uh, having a, a second conversation for sure awesome well this has been the born to be a badass podcast
1: stay safe and be a badass
0: you've been listening to the born to be a badass podcast the groundbreaking show that shines the light on women violence and safety life after trauma and how to build personal power and courage Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and share it with your friends, family members, and colleagues. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review that will help our show reach more women around the world. Tune in regularly for more exciting conversations full of insights and wisdom you won't hear anywhere else. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.